Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life here in Miami, Oklahoma. And I'm glad you've chosen today to listen to this, our podcast. I hope as you listen to this, you fall more in love with Jesus, and I also hope you fall more in love with His people. Enjoy this podcast today. Jesus song. Is that like, yeah, how about that whole set list today, huh? I'm just saying. Um, but uh, here at Word of Life, go ahead and go back just to the logos, or to the main logo slide. Um, I want I want to get vision out there every time that we get together that I remember to do this. Don't forget that when as we're growing this church, the main thing that we've got to realize is in our three E's is Word of Life, my Anna. And engage, encounter, equip. You realize that the Bible says, "Before I formed you in my in your mother's womb, I knew you." Therefore, we had some kind of an existence with the presence of God before we were even formed in our mother's womb. And with that, that tells me that somehow we've been plotted on a course to engage back, back every one of us back to the heart of God. And as we're walking the streets, as we're encountering people uh, on our day to day. Uh, jobs and lives as we're at the grocery store and as we're cutting granite or whatever it is, as I'm walking uh, with the uh, sheriff's office and doing whatever it is that I'm doing throughout the week, as all of us are living life throughout the week, we've got to realize that we're encountering other people that God has intended for them to engage back to his heart. Maybe most likely he has called us to be part of that engagement. And as we engage back to his heart, we realize that we were intended in this life to encounter Him in a substantial, in a tangible way. We have a taste and see that He is good kind of God. He intends that we wouldn't just know of Him, that we would know Him. We would know Him. I, I, uh, before my wife and I married, I'm going to get a little, gr- not graphic, but a little real. Before my wife and I were married, I knew of her. On our wedding night, I knew her. There's a different knowing, if you know what I'm trying to say, delicately, Right? But there's this knowing of God that he wants for us, this encounter that he wants for us with him, uh, a very intimate encounter. And then as we grow in this body together, he's going to put many of us in this place where we can equip. The Bible says in Ephesians that he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for what? The equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. And today we're going to talk about that work of ministry, maybe in a very profound way maybe in a different way than we've ever seen it. I hope it's in a way that causes us to walk out of this place and live our lives in a different way than maybe we did before we ever came into this place. So um, I want to ask some questions today, maybe get us to be thinking about our lives. And that is, have you ever um, felt like you're in the wrong place at the wrong time or maybe just in the wrong place in general all of a sudden? Like, okay, let me set an example. Um, like maybe you didn't fit in the area in which you are. Have you ever been driving through a large city, taken an exit, and realized, oh my Lord, this is not where I was intended to be, and realized that you can't get exactly get back on to the exit? I remember 
uh, I believe it was last year, we were um, with some friends driving home from Atlanta, and we had to stop and get gas, and it wasn't but about $5 into that tank of gas that we realized we were probably not at the best place to be getting gas. Um, it was kind of a sketchy area. Nonetheless, it was unintentional. Maybe you've done it on purpose. No way, Jose. I can remember going back to Atlanta. There was a time that uh, we had gone and, and we were part of a, um, a uh, we, were, we had taken some teenagers there to Atlanta to, to do a, a missions work. We were um, ministering to the homeless. We were uh, doing what's called adopt the block where we just went in and, and helped clean up areas. We were uh, working with children's ministries. It was really a pretty cool thing right there in the fourth ward. At the, at, now it's becoming an up-and-coming area, but this has been notoriously known as the worst of the worst part of the Atlanta area. But I remember that at this particular time, the ministry that we were being part of was in, in this one area, and where we were housing our students was about four or five blocks away. And we, I could drive the students there, but I couldn't park our van there, so I would have to take the van back to the ministry, park it, and then walk back to the dorms at night. Sometimes, stupid me, by myself. And I remember one night walking back and seeing one block to my um, west, flashing lights, red and blue, if you know what I'm trying to say, right? And, and it was, to me, my spirit said, don't go that way. Of course, the yellow caution tape said, you don't have to listen to your spirit. You just don't have to go that way, um, only to find out that just moments before I had been in that area, there had been an officer, a, a police officer involved shooting. There was uh, a turmoil amongst um, different colors of skin versus the police, if you can imagine. And I was stuck there, right there, and believe it or not, I put myself there on purpose. Um, it's kind of an interesting or a scary set of circumstances. Now... When my brother was a teenager, I remember him telling stories. Now, I've gotta, you've got to realize that most of the stories that I will ever tell when I was younger are just going to come out as I remember them, whether they are fact or not. There are probably some truths, but we'll see. I still like to tell the stories, and they seem to sound good to me. So we're going to take them as they are. When my brother was a teenager, uh, an older teenager, he used to uh, work with a ministry in Tulsa, and it was led by the, this guy by the name of Bill, and Bill was a pretty tough dude. And they would go out and do street ministry right in the, the heart of, of Tulsa. They'd go, oftentimes go downtown Tulsa, hang out in areas that probably, maybe not quite the fourth ward of Atlanta, but maybe nonetheless uh, no, no more um, safe than I was um, walking the streets of Atlanta foolishly by myself. But I remember my brother telling a story somewhat, I guess, this is how I remember it, of them going up to talk to some what looked like gang-type people, in my naive way of presenting it. And uh, Bill had approached these guys to tell them about Jesus on purpose, right? And one of the guys pulled a knife on Bill. Pulled a knife on him and threatened his life and said, don't you tell me about this Jesus. And Bill looked the guy in the face and said, what you have for me on the other side of the knife is much more, be much more better. Yes, it's much better than what I have right here, right now. Go ahead. He says, I've been stabbed and I'm still here. You're not going to do anything to me that's going to hurt me. You'll do me a favor. And actually, I believe was able to lead some of those guys to Jesus in that moment. Isn't that crazy? 
some crazy stories. Whether that's totally accurate or not, I know that there are stories that are pretty much right on to that. I heard um, Todd White this week talk about a, a story where he approached a, um, a, a gangbanger type and, and was threatened in his life and wound up leading that guy to Jesus right there. It was pretty amazing. Um, now, let me tell a personal story that I can get accurate, just to, just to bring this back to, to, to uh, integrity. <laughs> so, so when I was in high school, um, if, if anyone's watching this online that has been in our youth ministry will have heard this story many times. When I was in high school, my senior year of high school, um, I know that you all think I'm pretty amazing now. I know that all of the multitudes in this place think I'm pretty cool. I wasn't always this stylish and this amazing. I'm just going to say, Abigail, your dad was kind of a dork. Um, <laughs> didn't have a ton of friends in high school. Um, wasn't, pop- wasn't the popular kid. Um, my nickname was Bible Thumper. People didn't like me because I made sure that people knew that I liked Jesus. Um, but anyway, there were two people in my life in my senior year of high school that if I could have done anything... To not have them in my life, I may have, but I was just too nice of a guy, so I guess I wouldn't do anything to get them out of my lives. One of their, one of those persons was a girl by the name of Hallie. Hallie was confused. She had no clue what gender she wanted to identify with on any given day. Um, she, most of the time, did not smell great. Hallie, um, I don't know if she owned a razor. Hallie, I don't know that she owned a razor. Um, her favorite thing to wear was... Uh, unmatched shorts with a top with fishnet tights, and her hair was never, I mean, she was scary. And she wanted nothing to do with my Jesus, but she wanted everything to do with being in my presence, period. And when she was around me, she was making life miserable, but yet wouldn't leave me alone. Senior senior year of high school, that's my life. Graduation comes around. I graduate with, um, I believe, over, I don't remember if it was over 1,000 or nearly 2,000 students. Uh, it took them nearly two hours just to read off our names, if that tells you how long of a graduation or how large of a graduation class. I graduated with the largest graduating class in history from the largest high school in the state of Oklahoma, Broken Arrow. And uh, so anyway, we show up, and fortunately, we didn't, or not fortunately, but the way we did things at those times is you didn't line up in alphabetical order. You just sat where you wanted to, and you had a little card, and you handed it to the person when they read off your name, Jeffrey Dixon, Jeffrey Dixon. You know, the, the routine, right? So I show up, and on my right, through the entire four-hour graduation process, is this one person, not Hallie, great friend, amazing man of God today, and on my left, Hallie. And Hallie was a wreck. Actually, I don't remember if it was Haley or Hallie, because Abigail has a friend, and I never can remember if she's Haley or Hallie. Um, she was a wreck. She didn't want to be there, but she had to be there. The miracle she was graduating, her parents, whatever they were, were refusing to even show up. She had no friends or family, no one to show up. But she knew she could sit with me and celebrate this day, whatever it was for her, with me. So through the entire graduation, I sat with Hallie, Haley, whatever, right there in my left arm, bawling the entire time. I graduated. We had our festivities. I remember my grandpa wore a leisure suit. These, not leisure suit, but it was these striped, platy, green, and blue pants up above his belly button. 
with a very green blazer. It was very amazing. I'm surprised he didn't wear a bow tie, but he wore a wide tie. So they make up. Anyway, I remember those days. Move fast forward. I go graduate, go on to Oral Roberts University, spend one year at ORU, and I'm attending a class called Signs and Wonders. Uh, people like T.L. Osborne, Richard Roberts, some others would teach this class. I got to hang out with some pretty amazing people. Uh, there would be times where we would be standing. There's, it was a large. It was a larger class. There'd probably be 150 or so in the class, and then we'd break off into smaller, smaller areas. And there'd be times when we would all be standing around, literally standing. There'd be 20 or so standing. One person would be sharing right there, and we'd all just begin to fall out. I don't know how to explain it. I just would wake up on the floor and have no idea how it would happen. Uh, we'd see signs and wonders, and we'd see miracles, and we'd see awesome, incredible things that God would do in this. It was a class at ORU. It was amazing, called Signs and Wonders. What a great name for a class, right? So anyway, after one of those classes, uh, every now and then they would allow visitors or guests to come in. After one of those classes, this young woman, hair grown out, beautiful dress, makeup, comes up, and she says, Jeff, oh, my gosh, Jeff. I'm like, you, you, know, uh, you, uh, do I know you? She goes, my name's Haley, Hallie, whatever. It's been a few years since I graduated from high school. I was like, oh my gosh, look at you. She says, I want you to know that I have completely given my life to Jesus. I'm serving him. I love him. I want you to meet my fiance and introduce him to me. And she says, I want you to know that none of this would have happened if I didn't see the example of Jesus in your life. What an amazing thing to me in this moment. That this person that on appearance, from the, from the, the all appearance, surface, whatever, you would avoid at all costs. You would not get near. As a matter of fact, when people would see Haley Halley walking down the, the, the hallways in the school, they would go this way, or they'd go that way, oftentimes they would just turn and walk the other way. I'm so glad that my Jesus doesn't treat me like that, and even though I can tell you I was far from perfect, I was highly annoyed most of the time that I had to deal with Haley Halley. Somehow, by the grace of God, an example was made that led her to a life-changing, transforming experience. I want us to look together today. I don't have the scriptures on the screen just because there was a lot of it, more so than even last week. Well, it's just one long story. I want us to look at John chapter 4 together if we can. John chapter 4. Look at verses 1 all the way through 46. 1 through 46. This is a pretty common or well um, heard story. Many of us have read it, heard it preached on. I want to look at some insights in this, some, some observations, just three of them here in just a moment. But before I do that, let's just read through this and discuss some talking points to it, and then I'll give you my three observations. In verse 1 it says, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Now, in parentheses here in verse 2, it says, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. Now, I find it, we're going to stop right there for just a minute. I find it very interesting how when people accuse you, 
when people accuse the church, when people look at us here, and I, and I can tell you we've experienced it already, they have misinformation of what they accuse us of. Isn't it interesting when people say things about us or they say things about the church, even if sometimes it might have great... Look, there's misinformation. Look, we, we're grumbling. Jesus has been hearing that the Pharisees are talking about Him, saying that He's, dis, he's baptizing more people than John. Speaking of John the Baptist, and we've got this here in parentheses again, that although He hadn't baptized anyone, it was His disciples that were doing all the baptizing. I think people could look at us here and say that, man, they've got good worship or, or they've got good preaching, but they look like this and this is how they should look. And all along it should be this grand or glory, whatever. Let people have their opinions. But let me tell you in this place today that the only idea, the only opinion, the only uh, grumble not grumbling, but the only person that I'm really interested in what they have to say about what we're doing here is Jesus. And his opinion. So in verse 3, he being Jesus, he left Judea and he departed for Galilee. And it says here he had to pass through Samaria. It was about a 70-mile journey. Now, back in those days, any good Jew would not be found anywhere near Samaria. Now, the Samaritan people were kind of like half-breeds. They, they weren't the um, ideal candidate to be associating with. As a matter of fact, in Many, if not most cases, a Jewish, a good Jew, wouldn't walk the 70 miles straight, but they would go completely around Samaria, adding oftentimes an entire day or more to their journey. They would make a point to go so much further around just to avoid these people. But you see here, there's this word here in verse 4, and it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. I wonder why the author here puts that phrase, had to. Jesus had to. Was it because he had time constraints on where he is going? Or do you think that that morning he had this urgency within him that said that there was going to be some form of an encounter that day for him, for someone else to be able to look into the eyes of the one that would forever change someone's life? Are we in this place today? Do we wake up on a daily basis and say, Lord Jesus, do something in me this morning so that today when people encounter me, so that when I am out and about, I can feel this sense of urgency that I have to be in a position so that people will encounter the living God. So they had to pass through Samaria in verse 5. So he came to this town of Samaria. It's called Sychar. And near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now a woman from Samaria came and drew water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now, in this moment, you've got to have this picture in your mind that first and foremost, that Jesus should not have, as far as the customs and the standards of the day, even spoken to a Samaritan person. He shouldn't have even been in the area. As a matter of fact, he should have gone completely around. So first, we've got this picture here of Jesus speaking to a Samaritan, which was totally out of character for a good Jew. Then he speaks to a woman. 
speaker behind me. I keep trying to trip on it. I am going to move forward just a little bit. It speaks to a woman. Now, why is Jesus alone? Glad you asked that question. Glad you asked me that question. In verse 8 it says, For his disciples, they had gone away into the city to buy food. Now I can only imagine what this conversation must have looked like. They've left Jesus outside the city. And they've had to take that wrong exit. They, they, I can only imagine that as they're walking into the city, they're saying to each other, can you believe that we have to be here? I don't even, I don't know this. I've never been here. Where do we get food? Where's a good restaurant around here? Uh, yeah. Peter, you go ask. John, you go ask somebody. We'll send Judas. We don't like him anyway. Right? Have, have you ever been to London? Vanessa and I have been to London. Don't ask a good English person, Englishman, a Londoner, where anything good is. Because they will, just because we're American, send us to the worst tasting, nastiest place in the world to go to. And they'll send you the longest way there. Because they like to pick on us. So I can only imagine, furthermore, and all these other interjectory words, that just as... The Jews don't like the Samaritans. For all the years that they've been treated horribly, do you imagine that the Samaritans were excited that the Jews were in there, that the disciples had come in? Heck no. So can you, I, I, can, I can see it now that, that they're walking along and, and they're, 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 they look ahead and, and there's Pizza Hut. And, and they go up and they're like, yes, buffet today. And so they walk in and just as these Jews walk to the door, the, 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 the waitress at the Whatever, that's getting ready to seat people, sees them walking and just locks the door and turns the clothes sign. We don't serve your type here. Oh, Subway, eat fresh. So we're going to go over there. We're out of food for your kind. It's okay, we can't eat ham anyway. Go over here. Can you imagine the, the, the problems? But I wonder, I just wonder, where have they been all this time? Who have they been hanging out with? And have they not got it through their fixed goals? Why are they not walking through this town seeking God for an encounter for the people who have yet to hear the goodness of Jesus? Hmm. It says in verse 9, no, we know where the disciples are, why they're not with Jesus. We know they've got to be in a pretty precarious place for them. And the Samaritan woman says to Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, ask from me, a woman of Samaria? Because Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who is it? And if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? I love, I love, I love, I love how Jesus likes to ask questions that make us probe for deeper answers. That make us think more. As we open the Scripture, as we read more, as we dive into His Word, as He begins to reveal truths to us, we find ourselves oftentimes in a situation where we're like, I didn't even have a vessel to pull that out, but God, you made it possible anyway. 
So here's Jesus, and he's sitting there, and he says to the woman, Give me a drink. And then she says, Why on earth are you talking to me? And he says, But if you only knew who you were talking to and what I could offer you, you would have asked me for a drink. And she says, But you've got nothing to draw water from. And he says, It doesn't matter, for I am the vessel in which living water pours from. The woman said to him, Again, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his sons' livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks the water from this well will be thirsty again. I can attest to that. There was a day, not this last week, it might have been the week before, where I drank through my carafe, you've seen it, of water twice. I drank several other things, and I just couldn't quench my thirst. Have you ever been there? So thirsty that lemonade doesn't do it, Kool-Aid doesn't do it, sweet tea doesn't do it, water doesn't do it, Gatorade doesn't do it. I did find something that did it finally, but I was so, like, bloated from all the liquid, and I was up through the night. Um, But anyway, but it says in verse 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him the spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. Again, she still doesn't get what he is offering her. For what she thinks he is offering her means she'll never have to carry these buckets or these barrels up here to the well and fill it for her family. She thinks that this is going to be the end-all, be-all. And he says to her, Go. Call your husband and come here. Putting this woman in a very precarious situation. But for some reason in the very presence of Jesus, whether she knew who she really was in the presence of or not, honesty just flowed from her lips. In verse 17, she answers him and she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have five husbands, and the one you are now with, or the one you have now, is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Hmm. Perception. Sorry, I'm, I'm pausing there for just a moment. Not that I'm lost in my notes. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You see, she's beginning to have her eyes open. She's beginning to see some significance in Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right now that we're going to encounter people throughout the day. We're going to encounter people throughout the week that will look at us and say, you know what? I believe that Jesus probably was a good man. They might even say, you know what? I don't, I'm not a religious person, but they, they won't deny that Jesus probably was, nor would they deny some other things about some other people that claim to be prophets. But you see, if we are tapped into this living well, if we're tapped into this Jesus that he's about to reveal to this woman, if we are living in connection and communion, in encounter 
with Him. When we talk about this good king, their perception of Him as a good man will turn into a perception of Him as Savior. And in verse 20, it says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it's not here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Wait a minute. She has just from her own words in this very moment described what is happening. You see this? She's like, this man is coming and he's going to tell us all things. Not does she realize in this moment that she is describing what is happening. She has become a prophetess in her own right in this moment, only declaring right in front of her what is happening. And Jesus says in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. We don't always get these bold of encounters, these moments when Jesus comes right out and says, I am this person. And later in his dealings with Peter, he looks at him and says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, well, some say this and some say that. And he says, no, who do you say I am? And, Jesus, and Peter says, I say that you are the Christ. This woman says, I know that the Christ is coming and Jesus doesn't have to beat around the bush to find out what kind of revelation she has. He comes right out and says, you don't need a revelation today. I'm going to tell you point blank who I am. And he's in this place today to tell you point blank who he is. For in this place we have encountered the living God. His name is Jesus. And he's here to say, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the one who came. I am the one who can tell you all things, reveal all things, deal in you all things, and make you all things. Just then, just then, right in the middle of this conversation that ought to not have been happening, the disciples came back. Oh, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water you hear that? Did you hear what just happened? The woman left her water. She came to draw water. She met living water. And she leaves her water jar and went into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So let me share, you these, share with you some things. When it comes to following Jesus. When it comes to following Jesus. Go ahead, Abigail. When it comes to following Jesus, it means addressing what you would have otherwise avoided. Let's go back to the disciples. 
go back to just the very beginning. They're walking straight through Samaria instead of avoiding it. We can look at several things here. We have to now be face to face with some things. When we address what we would have otherwise avoided, we have to step out in faith. Being here is a move of faith. Listen, I'm not discouraged because we've been like this for weeks. I know that in due time, God's going to do something. And He's only beginning, or He's still planning the foundation. He's still doing a work. He's still preparing my heart for what's to come. He's preparing our hearts for what's to come. But we're still stepping out in faith. The other day, Vanessa and I were dropping off some some trash at a dump site. And we got out, Vanessa got out in faith and asked the woman if she could pray with her. We're going to do that more and more. We're going to step out and we're going to begin to pray for people and watch God move. But I'm going to tell you, we have to step out in faith so that He can move. For God's not going to move on behalf of that person if we stay silent and to ourselves. We have to say yes to Jesus. And I think we're guilty oftentimes of saying no. And inaction, inaction is the same oftentimes as saying no. We may have to say no to certain things like relationships. What relationships do we need to sever? It may be music, it may be books, it may be movies, things that we look at, apps on our phones. Number two, means letting go of what is comfortable. Listen, this life that God has called us to should not be comfortable. It shouldn't be easy. It should require total dependence upon Him. You've got to realize that our plans, the plans that we have, the plans of man, He says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. They're higher, they're better, they're greater. We've got to get in line with that. We've got to let go of what's comfortable. We've got to be willing to move freely in the direction of something that we don't understand. I don't understand oftentimes the movings of the Holy Spirit. I don't often understand why God does things this way or that way. I don't understand why somebody could walk into this place totally, totally, totally full of cancer. I don't understand that. But I do also live in a place of lacking of understanding of why that can be allowed, but yet God still heals them. I don't get it. But He does. I don't understand how God can do that. I don't understand, Bo, how God can miraculously restore your shoulder even without doctors, because I know you still need that. But He can, and He will, and He wants to. I don't understand a lot of what God wants to do or does, but I don't have to. For I look at pixels on a page, from my perspective, He looks at the full picture. My plans... His, my plans aren't safe. Neither are His. But His protection, 
is the safest place to be. How do I know that? It says in Psalm 23, He prepares for me a table in the presence of my enemies. When it comes to following Jesus, number three, means expanding our limits of God's love, not just for us, but for and towards others. That's, that's huge. Last week, last week we looked at uh, one of the examples we looked at of people following Jesus is when Jesus called Levi. And in verse 27 of Luke chapter 5, it says, After he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at this disciple, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said to them, This is huge. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous sinners to repentance. You see, we've got to realize the love that Jesus had for us. And if he loved me, then he loves others more. Not more, but he loves others. Who does Jesus love? Well, previously we looked at the Samaritan woman. You see, he had to go through Samaria. Why? Because there was a woman that was going to come to a well who was going to be seeking water and would find the living water. He loves you. You see, He would take everything that we would ever do that was in treason, that was contrary to His plan for our lives, and He would take it upon His back, and He would hang upon a cross, and we'd make a way so that we could enter into the presence of God. He loves Haley Halley. He loves the cashier at Walmart. He loves the homeless man begging on the street corner. He loves the person, the men and the women in the Ottawa County Jail. He loves the person that does your hair. He loves the person that owes you money. Or cut you off by driving down the road. That took from you. That falsely accused you. Realize we falsely accused Jesus. He loves your server at the restaurant. The meth head. There is no one outside of his sphere of love. 
why would Jesus eat with such people? Because as we read in verse 31 of Luke 5, it's not those who are well that need a physician, but those who are sick. limiting God by remaining silent by not praying for somebody by not offering a kind word by not listening to the Holy Spirit this room should be the kindest gentlest most giving most gracious generous courteous people around through our hands God wants to heal people not just physically but he wants to heal their hearts through our words he wants to build people up through our love he wants to show I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, Should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, wlmiami.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.